Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. We are going to finish up Acts chapter 13. We've got um, a little bit left. One thing that we do, we say this every week, but we'll walk through it. We are systematically going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, not cherry picking, not deciding that I want to uh, twist and manipulate a scripture to be my way, but we are walking through it together, exactly what it says, how he says it, and how the author intended it to be done. All right. So far, we are in Acts chapter 13. And in Acts chapter 13, we see that Paul and Barnabas are ministering, um, and then they get invited to speak at a synagogue, um, the Jewish temple there. Um, and the, he preaches, and this is how the last part of that sermon goes in verse 32 of chapter 13. And we declare good tidings to you that that promise which was made to the fathers, which is Jesus, God has fulfilled this for us their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. As it was also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus. I will give you the, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore he also says in another Psalm, I, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his father and saw corruption. Can we just pause right there for a second? I, I missed that last week. Uh, I, I love this phrase, for David, verse 36, for David, after he served his own generation by the will of God. Can I tell you, that's your role too. Your role is to serve this generation that you're in and create a pathway for a future generation. That's our purpose in being believers here. It's ministering to the brothers and sisters that are right next to us and also pouring our heart and soul into our own offspring or, the, or our spiritual offspring, if you will, if you don't have any kids, into this idea of I'm training up a next generation. Because there's going to be this moment, a recent study says 10 out of 10 people die. It's a crazy statistic. So all of us will die. And what we're not pouring into the next generation will go with us. And we have to have this idea, just like David did, is not only am I going to serve my generation, but I'm also going to prepare a way for a future generation. It says this, but he who God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man... through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Why is that such a big deal? Because until this moment, all this idea of forgiving of sin goes down like this. It is you take an offering, you would take an animal, you would take it to temple, they would slaughter it, uh, they would pour its blood, and, and then they would sprinkle it, and it would more or less give you a pass. It was a covering of a sin. It was God saying, okay, well, last year's transgressions, we're going to forgive. Uh, I, I, I don't know how to say it any other way. Kind of picture our government's debt. Like they just repass another bill and wrap last year's new debt into that one, and it keeps going. And, and that's the idea that was continuing to compound. But now through Jesus, he doesn't just roll your debt into the next year. He erases it. That's the difference here. Because until Jesus, there was no forgiveness of sin. There was no restoration of who you were. It was just this idea of you get a pass for last year. 
But Jesus goes and erases it. He forgives. He removes. He tosses it away. So this is a new idea for everybody who's hearing this for the first time. And by him, everyone. That's a key here. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things. Mind you, you got this man who is Paul standing in a synagogue to Jews and to Gentiles who have not met the conversion rates to get into being part of the brotherhood of the Jews. And he's standing there telling them, not only is your sacrifices no longer important, but Jesus came for this side of the room and that side of the room. Put yourself in that seat. Has anybody ever been an outsider looking in? I know I have. There's been moments in my life where I look back and go, I was just on the outside and everybody else seemed to have everything that they wanted and needed and all those things, but I am on the outside looking in and, and if only I could have this and if only I could get this chance, if only I could have this moment, if I, could, if I could just get those same things, but I'm always on the outside. You see, what happens a lot of times is us who, have deals, with, who deals with being on the outside begin to resent the people who are on the inside. All or you have a friend or a coworker. It seems like everything they do always works out while you're drowning. Everything they touch works, even when they don't try. Do you have that annoying friend in school who would wake up the day of an exam and go, oh, we have an exam, and then ace it, and you studied all week to get a C? You're like, if I could just have their brains, I could have that ability and, 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 and add it to my discipline, which was never my problem, I would wake up the day of the test and get a C because I wouldn't study. So I have no idea what that's like. But my sister, on the other hand, did. She would study. She would show herself approved. She would, she would work hard, get in a great grade. But then she had friends that would just party all weekend and then wake up and be like, oh, there's a test? Oh, okay. And then ace it. Being on the outside looking in is a frustrating thing. It's an emotionally scarring thing. Because now we're talking about not just being invited to a party or about grades, but now we're talking about your eternity and relationship with the divine. Because this side of the room, the, the Jewish population over here, who have been born into a brotherhood of Jewishness, just because they were born, they get accepted. But then you had this side of the room over here, who they weren't born into the elitehood, but they have been working so hard to be so good, yet these people over here just got it by inheritance and birthright. And these people are struggling, and, and now for the first time ever, a man stands and says, he did it for you all. Think about what that would do to you. When for decades, 30, 40 years, you've been on the outside trying to break through, and then all of a sudden you go, hey, you don't have to try anymore. It's done. It says, and by, ev by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come to you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe. 
though one you were declared to you. So he finishes up. When the Jews left the synagogue, the Gentiles, the outsiders, those who were for the first time having a moment in their, in their lives, begged that these words might be preached to them next week. Why would they beg that? Anybody? They've never heard it, but you know what? Their friends have never heard it. He, they couldn't be like, oh my gosh, I heard something crazy, and then share the Facebook Live link. They couldn't go back and give them the podcast. They couldn't be like, check this tweet out. This is incredible. No, the only way the information would have been shared is if they could hear it with their own ears. So now you have these guys who have this understanding that for the first time ever, I'm on the inside. I have the opportunity to be a part of something. My family needs to hear this. My neighbors need to hear this. The people who have been saying, forget the whole thing. What's the point? I'm never going to break through. They need to hear this. And so they say, Paul, please come back next week because we need our families to hear this. This is what true love does. True love looks and says, I found truth, and I need you to come with me to hear it. What true love doesn't do is I found truth and I'm never going to tell a soul. I found peace, but I'm going to keep it for myself. I found love, but I'm not going to tell you. And I'm going to watch you drown and I'm going to watch you struggle. And I'm going to be like, if they only had what I had, but I'm not going to tell them. But these men would stand up and say, come back. I'm going to make sure somebody else is going to hear it. See, this is why I ask, do you bring? Do you invite? Not because we're trying to pack the seats, but because we're trying to spread truth. Have y'all not realized that our world is full of lies? And I don't care what news station you listen to or watch, they all lie. Maybe I, listen, maybe I'm the first person to explain this to you guys too. Have you ever watched a politician lie? Every last one of them. Republican, Democrat, Independent. We had a Green Party for a little while. I think it fell apart. Uh, I, I don't know where we are now, how many parties we have these days, but they will all lie. Every single one. If there is a chance that they can move ahead in life and all they have to do is tell a lie, they will tell a lie. How about a boss? You ever had a boss lie to you? Mm. Yeah, how about a coworker? You ever had them lie to you? How about this? No one's looking and no one's pointing. No one's pointing. <laughs> Have you ever had a spouse lie to you? Don't shake your head, Gladys. No one is, is doing anything. No, we, we've experienced lies. You know what, when you get lied to, and you realize that you were lied to, it's an act of betrayal. And it hurts. Maybe not physically, but it still hurts. And this is this moment that they have for the first time they're hearing truth. So how do you know when you're hearing truth? You know when you're hearing truth because something on the inside 
gets going with what's being said on the outside. See, there's a difference because if you've ever gone to a used car salesman and they just throw numbers at you and you get so confused and you're like, I, I just liked the color and I came home with a $700 car payment. I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. A few years ago, um, my kids and I, we were walking through PetSmart and my kids asked if they could play with a cat. I'm like, play with a cat? Sure, whatever. I'm not getting a cat. It's not going to happen. This is never, so I'm not doing that. I, and I'm sitting there going, how is this cat in my car? What, what happened? Like, there was so many words, and I was confused, and there was this buy one, get one deal, and I felt like it was right. And, and, and then I got in the car. Can I tell you, God does not confuse you. Truth does not need to be confusing. So can I help you out? This helped me out tremendously. If you're ever finding yourself in a decision-making time and you are rushed to make a decision, the opportunity very well is probably not God. God prepares you for what has been prepared for you, right? So why would he be like, hurry, hurry, you gotta go, hurry, hurry, do this now. If you don't do this, the deal's gonna fall apart. Do it, yes, no, yes, no. And you're like, I'll take door number two. Like, you, you have no... No rush with God. Can I tell you, God is here to prepare you for something. The enemy is here to rush you into something. Because if he can rush you into a relationship, if he can rush you into a decision, if he can rush you into a 30-year rate, if he can rush you into a, a, a new lease, if he can rush you into some form of debt issue in your life, if he can rush you into something, he can have you captive for X amount of years. But God is not that way. There's nothing wrong with the lease. There's nothing wrong with the mortgage. I'm not dogging any of those things. But if you're always finding yourself having to make emergency decisions, can I tell you, it very well, maybe not God. And I need you to pause, back up a second and go, I need a day. I need, I need some time. I need to pray about this. Can I tell you, car salesmen hate this. I need to talk to my spouse. Why? Because like, there goes that sale. Because they're going to get talked out of it. If I can talk you out of something, it wasn't real to start with. So here we go. They're talking truth. These men are hearing truth. Not just things that they want to hear. In fact, they're going, give us an entire week. We're going to mull over what's going on. And if we agree, we want you to do it again. So... They're speaking truth. And one thing I love about this place here is you guys love truth. You like it just to be raw and unfiltered, and I don't have to do a song. Thank God I'm not in that choir. I don't have to do a dance. I don't have to have a bunch of graphs and charts and try to trick you into something. The reality is I am Pete, the pastor, a mess. A We've got first-time visitors shaking their head. Yep, they, they, they have, they've seen it already. I'm an absolute mess in so many areas of my life. But can I tell you what I'm also doing? Is I'm also realizing truth in new ways and aligning myself with truth. Oh, okay. We had this conversation. We were at uh, breakfast yesterday, and we were talking about when I was 21 as a youth pastor. 20, 21. <laughs> as a youth pastor, and I'm, I'm listening to stories that I partaked into going, 
how did I not lose my job? Uh, it was unbelievable. Fun times, horrible decision putting me in at 21. But now I look at the situation and go, thank God that when I look at Pete at 40 and Pete at 21, there has been some growth. Some. Give me a little bit. There you go. But here's the thing. Truth should always cause you to move forward and closer to God. If you're finding yourself at church um, or an organization and you're not growing deeper with God, if you're not being convicted of your sin, if you're not being challenged for greater things, not being challenged to give more money, I'm saying challenged in who you are to be greater. Can I tell you, truth should always challenge you to rise up. Always. Whether you're 8 or 88, you have not arrived because God has still got more for you. Truth makes you rise up. And here's where we are. We are listening to a word on a Sunday morning right now, and we are hearing something that should, in the next 5 or 10 minutes, poke us to go, I think there's something I should do. The poking and the prodding is not because I'm trying to hurt somebody's feelings, but I'm speaking truth, which should hopefully go, I can do better. I'm never calling you to be perfect. That's stupid. But hopefully at the end of 2024, you'll look back and go, in December, I made one or 1,000 steps closer to God than I was in January. That's the goal. Small steps in the right direction will create a huge journey. So this is what they say. Come back to the Sabbath, verse 43. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue on in the grace of God. That's a powerful phrase. Continue on in the grace of God. You've got these Jews that are following him, that are, that are looking, going, can you explain more on what you're saying? These Jews that are following him most likely are the prominent people in the synagogue asking clarifying questions. That's one thing I love about, another thing I love about this church is that if you have a question about what was being said, come ask. Listen, I love some of the guys online. I love to watch. Like, Stephen Furtick is, is great. I love to watch this. But I can't just call him up and be like, hey, can I ask a question about what was just shared there, buddy? But at a church like this, you can walk up and go, hey, you said X. Can you explain that to me? I need to understand a little bit more. So this is what they're doing. They're walking with Paul, asking him clarifying questions. But Paul says to them, continue in the grace of God. This phrase, let's just pause for a second, is a cool phrase because it seems like a simple question, but there's a lot of angles to what this grace of God is. Because when I open my Bible, I can read about grace, and I think there's 130, 24, 124 times in the New Testament it talks about the grace of God. Now, growing up in a church similar to this, I would hear that grace is unmerited favor, a favor you didn't deserve. And it truly is. You can see this in Romans 3 and Romans 5 and Romans 11. There is a favor on your life because you have the grace of God. But there we see other types of grace. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says God is able to make grace abound. Well, that's not favor. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that my grace is sufficient to you. So is Paul's favor sufficient? 
In 1 Corinthians 15, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So is that just a favor? No. In all three of the texts that I said, and there's, these aren't just the only ones, there's a lot, including this one here, grace is not just a gift of favor or an inclination in the nature of God, but this type of grace is a grace that is an influence or a force on our lives causing us to grow closer to God. See, there's a grace that happens on you that you're able to do things that you couldn't do. You didn't deserve it. There's nothing you can do about it. The grace of God, Jesus. You didn't do anything. There's nothing you can do. But then there's another type of grace. And this type of grace pushes you in a direction to be something else. And this is what Paul's looking at them going, you're following me because the grace of God is pushing you towards him. Have you ever felt that in your life? You are going, living your life, doing your own thing, your way, and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden you're like, my life fell apart. Oh, there's God. He's right there. And all of a sudden you took the exit, and you're like, how did I get there? God's grace pushed you towards something. Because God's grace in your life is for every season of life. His grace is continually opening doors and slowly pushing you towards them. This past week, my parents uh, went on vacation and they made the horrible mistake of leaving me in charge of their house. <laughs> Threw a great party last night. No. Uh, it was, it, we, we <laughs> so I'm taking care of Baron um, and doing that. And, you know, I realized when they gave me their keys, I have access to every part of their house. Hey, Mom, I know you're watching. This is not going to be pleasant for you. I'm going to ask because I feel like I get chastised by some friends. Don't, don't sweat yet. Yeah. When you house sit, do y'all stay in your little area or do you wander? You stay right where you're supposed to? Does anybody wander? Am I the only? Th Bob, thank you. You're never watching my house, but thank you for being honest. I, I absolutely am going to wander. What's in this closet? What's in this room? What's over here? And then I open the door. And when you open my dad's closet door, there's no light switch. It just turned itself off. And my dad is meticulously organized. And for the past, I would say, 30 minutes of him watching this, has been wondering, why in God's name does this outfit look familiar? <laughs> Y'all, I walked into his closet. I'm like, that suit fits. That shirt fits. That tie fits. Those shoes fit. I have his socks on. Y'all, I, I have his undershirt on. The only thing on my body is my BVDs. That is only, that is mine. Everything else is my dad's. Because when I walked into his closet, I'm like, he's got some nice stuff. Yeah, true story. 
I was looking for a better walk. No. Um, but we, I, 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 walked, I walked through, and I'm like, oof, I might wear that tomorrow. And I will wear that on Sunday, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm picking and choosing. And, and one thing I realized is that when I walked into my dad's closet, he's got T-shirts, he's got collared shirts, he's got suits and ties, he's got nice dress shirts, he's got casual stuff, everything is ironed, every, it's all ironed before I even get there. His jeans are folded in, on hangers, his shoes are lined up, it's meticulous. Not anymore. It was meticulous. But I came in like a wrecking ball, man. I'm the, uh, and so I am putting it on, and I realize, like, as I put the suit on, it's a cool thing because he's got an outfit hanging up for every season of life, and it fits. Can I tell you, with every season of life, God has a grace for you, and it's not going to be too big, and you're not going to drown. And it's not going to be too small that you're trying to fix. It's a perfect fit in every area of your life. And this is the whole point here, is that these men have been chasing after God for the majority of their life, these Jewish men. And God goes, they're ready. Think of all the cities Paul could have been at. Think of all the islands he could have explored. Think of all that he could have stayed there. Uh, at, at one church, he could have went back down to Jerusalem and tried to stay. But he went to this place at this time to preach this message because two things happened. Paul was ready, and they were ready. And God guided them through his grace to connect. This is what godly relationships do. A godly relationship will guide you and will guide them, whether it's friendship or romantic, will guide you and will guide them to connect. And all of a sudden, you are spurring each other on in the grace of God. So when I look at somebody and say, there's more in you than you're pulling out, I'm trying to call that grace out. I'm trying to get you to take another step forward closer to God. It has nothing to do with manipulation. I'm not asking you to go and play the piano or to dig a ditch with us or, or to pull weeds. I'm asking you to be the person that God has called you to be. I'm asking you to take a step, another step, closer to him. And this is what Paul's looking at them going, stay with the grace of God. Because when Jesus created it for all, he threw you the keys to his house and says, what kind of clothes do you need? Go through my closet, figure out what you need in every season of life. But here's the cool thing about grace. Not only is there a grace for every season of life, but when one season ends, you got to let go. This is a hard thing for a lot of us. Because we, we begin to move forward in the right direction with God and doing the things that he's called us to do. And then we all of a sudden have pushed through that barrier. And all of a sudden things are coming easier. And people are starting to follow. And people are doing this. And people are doing that. And then God goes, hey, new season. And you're like, get behind me, Satan. I have just arrived. And then you have to let go of this one and swing into the next season of grace. Yesterday... And this is the beautiful part of Alabama, is that it will be literally frost on the ground and t-shirt weather all in 24 hours. And if you still wear what you wore at 6, 6 a.m. outside at 3 p.m., 
your grace, your outfit has led you from comfort to discomfort. I made that mistake. Oh, it's cold, long sleeve, put some uh, thermals on. I'm gonna go outside and do my thing and then three o'clock I'm, it was a great idea for that season but now things have shifted and what was comforting is now choking me. And part of life is realizing what things I need to let go of in this new season of life. And just because I feel like this whole idea has become popularized with people, I need to stop. I'm not saying necessarily I need to let go of an Elaine relationship so I can be a better person because she doesn't serve my needs anymore. Your relationships with people are not supposed to be about you. If you are in a toxic relationship, it's toxic for both of you, cut it out. But if I look and I go, hey, I'm going to get close to Elaine for a season because she's going to help me get popular and then I'm done. And I'm going to go to Steve and hang out with him for a little bit because I'm going to get... People are not meant to be stepping stones in your life. Sure, some relationships God separates and God sends away and some people move and all that stuff. But if I'm going into a connection with somebody to suck the life out of them and then when I get what I need, I'll discard them and go to someone else. I'm a virus, not a Christian. And what's taken place in our world is we have this idea of which people serve you for your next season. That is the worst idea. How about I serve my people? What if we all had this idea of I'm going to pour out and I have faith that God will trust to pour back in? Because relationships are not supposed to be about what I can get from you. It's about God gave me his grace to give out to you. But there are ideas, there are mindsets that we have to let go of. There are some successes that we have to let go. What worked for me in ministry 10 years ago will not work for me in ministry today. Have y'all noticed that since 2020, everything is different? And if you're trying to operate a business in 2024 like you did in 1994, good luck. You expect your employees to show up for 40 hours? You expect to pay minimum wage? The, the game has changed. But just because the game has changed doesn't mean there's not a grace for the new game. Let go of the old successes and failures and hold on to the new grace ahead of you. We just have to adjust our categories and realize that favor with God isn't always about me. Let's take Abraham for a second. Abraham was minding his own business in Ur of the Chaldees, living his best life. And God spoke, leave this place and your family. Where will I go? I'll let you know when you get there. So he leaves. Later on, God says, separate yourself from the only family that left with you. Well, that stinks. God, I don't have a son. I'll give you a son. Now, you give me your son back. The thing that Abraham learned is that whenever God asks of something, there is a grace to get me through all seasons of life. And one thing that has happened is this idea that if I am not at 100% awesomeness all the time, then something is wrong. Have, 
Have you read at all in the Bible where bad things happen to good people? Has any, that ever happened to you? Yeah, absolutely. But there's a grace for this. There's an old Chinese proverb, and it's a, it's a, it's a cool story. There's a guy there, this is back in the 12th century, and him and his son are, are turnip farmers. And they have one donkey, they have one plow, and they're tilling the ground. They're doing their thing over and over and over again, trying to get these turnips, turning turnips. They have to give 70% back to the landlords. They're living off of 30%, struggling every single week, every single day, struggling, struggling, struggling. One day, this donkey just takes off and runs. The son panicked. Dad, what do we do? This is horrible. This is a tragedy. Every, we're going to die. We are done. I have to turn these turnips. I can't move this plow without a donkey. The donkey just took off running. The horses took off running. So, so now what do we do? This is a tragedy. We're going to die. And the old man looks and says, I don't know what this is yet. I can't call it. A couple days later, the son's sitting on the front porch sulking like I would do. And he hears horses come running down the hill. And they run right into his field. He closes the gate excited dad forget these turnips we're in the horse business now this kid has no idea how to train horses how to raise horses so he's trying to break a horse all by himself and if you ever try to do that it's not fun I, I was raised in slap out and um, we had this horse named Matisol and he would buck and he would bite and he was mean uh, and all that fun stuff and so finally one day we get a guy named Mike to get on this horse Mike is a good 375 so we get a platform we bring the horse under it, and we sit Mike on this horse, and I watch this horse go, Ugh! and he like, slowly puts one arm out, leg out, one leg out, and he begins to brace himself, and he couldn't buck him off. And so he takes one, and we're cracking up laughing because this horse has met his match. So this kid, though, was probably a good buck 65, and those horses would, shoop. he kicks him off, shatters his leg. Village runs to the dad, what are you going to do? And they didn't have hospitals. This is 12th century, so they get some bamboo leaves and spit and wrap it up, and hopefully your leg will heal, man. A few weeks later, boom, they heard another herd of horses coming. This time, it's the army demanding his son. They're going to war. The dad says, I would give him to you, but look at him. He's a cripple. It's going to be months before his leg heals. He can't do anything yet. So they ride off, and the entire army gets wiped out. And you're watching this whole thing going, and the good things and the bad things, you have a very limited scope of what is and what isn't. Our role isn't to call something horrible or great. Our role is to say, God, I trust you in every season. And that when it rains, I believe that you have a grace called an umbrella. And when it's hot, I believe you still have a grace of an umbrella that will shade me. When I need to get protected from the heat, when I need to get protected from the snow, whatever is going on, God, your grace is sufficient for me. But on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together. I guess they liked the truth to hear the word of God. Huh. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. In contradicting and blasphemy, they opposed the things that 
were spoken by Paul. Isn't that interesting? Last week they loved him. This week they hate him. Why? Because now he's popular. He, he's gathering more people than the other, persons, other people did. In our days, we're overwhelmed with information from television, radio, newspaper, magazines, social media. They didn't have that in this day. So when they would come through another person and a person had a source of information they'd never heard, they would bring people together just like we just talked about. But the problem with this, with this case is that when they brought people together, everyone who wanted to hear truth now broke up into two camps. Now I want truth, but I want it on my terms, or I just want truth. And this is the problem that we're walking into right now. So they begin to blaspheme Paul. In other words, they're trying to ridicule him. That's not true. What he's saying is a lie. Everything he's saying is horse. It's garbage. It's everything. No, just stop. Don't listen. And they're, they're attacking Jesus and his name to try to discredit Paul because they were envious of the multitudes. And I think it's funny because we look at that and go, that's just tragic. Why would you ever hold truth back because somebody's more popular than you? But we do it all the, on a regular basis. At least I do. The reason that we do this is because while the Jews were obviously ministering to the Gentiles, it was on their terms. And now this new guy's showing up and they're losing their crowds. I mean, he didn't put in the work like I did. He didn't go to all their kids' stupid events. He wasn't there to hear all her drama all the time. He wasn't there when his family was sick. I brought him food. He wasn't there. He didn't deserve this. Let's stop it. Maybe you've been ministering to somebody, trying your best to lead them to Christ, and then some stranger shows up and it works, and then they come to you excited, and you're like, that's what I've been telling you all of this time. This is what's going on. So instead of going, I'm happy you received truth, I'm mad that it's not from me. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best to put a wedge in truth that only I can fix. So you have to come back to me to get your fix. See, as pastors, what we can't be is spiritual drug dealers where everything's about me. And you have to come to me to get your answers. And I'm the sole proprietor of everything that is righteous and good and if and you're going to come to me and, and this has happened in churches before where they would go to a pastor to ask what kind of car they needed to buy and should they get this house and what color of this and they would sit there and act all holy and, and let me pray about it and i'll let you know what color of car you should get because one represents the glory of god and one represents and you're like have you lost your minds my role is not to micromanage your life my role is to equip you to hear the voice of god for yourself with clarity and with confidence. Sure, there's wisdom in, in, in having conversations about what's going on and bouncing an idea off, but, but no. Because if everything is going on has to go through me and has to be controlled, that's called a cult. Okay. The baby, it's not just that they didn't do it by them, but they didn't do it his way because Paul shows up saying, hey, everything that's working on with Moses cool guy, love him, Jesus is better. I was talking to a friend, not, uh, this is years ago, golly, years ago, and it's me, an older gentleman, and him, and he's excited because 
he, <laughs> he was at the bar, and as he's having a beer, a guy sits down with him, and he's like, and I felt God, like, told me to talk to this guy, and he leads this guy to Jesus at the bar. And so this guy is at church. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm meeting him, yada, yada, yada. And he's like, yeah, I was at the bar, and yada, yada, told me to come up to church, and it was cool, man. We got saved and all that great stuff. I'm excited, but my compadre with me is upset because why would you even be in a place, and how could you ever do this? And what? In other words, you didn't receive Jesus in a three-piece suit like I wanted you to. Can I tell you, when you are ministering the gospel, I'm not telling you to go to places that you shouldn't be going to, but I'm telling you, use unconventional means. Because this is an unconventional fight. If you're expecting that God is just going to draw everybody to his church and people will just hear it by himself, no. God tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into the highways and the byways. Grab the rich and the poor. Grab everybody of every color and of every nationality, of every, everything that's going on in life. Grab them and bring them to the cross. Don't try to clean them up first. Just bring them. And then it gets one step deeper because Paul says, and now we are all equal under God. So now you're going to tell me that this side of the room who was born Jews and are elite and this side of the room who are Gentiles and on the outside are now equal? So let's just take this for instance. What if, and I'm not saying it's a good idea, what if one day the federal government decided to say, we're going to take everybody's money, rich and poor, out of all of your bank accounts, and everybody gets the exact same amount. While people like me would celebrate, other people would freak out because they had this, they earned this, they, right? And this is what's taking place here, is you're seeing an equality of spiritual class. And now, when you get lowered a peg, and everyone's on the same playing field, it creates a problem. Can I tell you, in churches today, I need you to perfectly understand, your pastor is not above you, nor is he beneath you. I am not meant to rule over your life, nor are you meant to rule over my life. We, in the eyes of God, are following brothers and sisters together. But I see both sides. I see pastors treated like rock stars. Like they're, they're stinking just rock stars. And, everything. and that's whatever to each his own. But I'm never going to be better than anybody else. And at the same time, I've, I've watched pastors be treated like dirt. Because you should have less and you should be in poverty to teach you to be humble. I'm like, well, why don't you teach yourself to be humble? No. Equality is what Jesus came for. Can we all agree on that? Like we are here to connect. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, the Jews. But since you rejected it and judged yourself unworthy, golly, you judged yourself unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, <laughs> They were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. 
And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city and raised up persecution against Barnabas and Paul and expelled them from their region. But they, Barnabas and Paul shook off the dust of their feet against them, came to another city, and the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Two things in this story that we need to realize. Not everyone will be happy. But that doesn't mean we be quiet. Because those who are true truth seekers will hear your words, will watch your heart, and will jump at an opportunity to be ready for God. And that phrase has haunted me. You deemed yourself unworthy of eternal life. That's a harsh phrase. That tells me that I have the ability to join God's team or to discredit myself from God's team. You have a choice in this matter. In fact, even in the Old Testament, they say, choose this day who you'll serve. You always have a choice. So we talked about grace, how God's got a grace for every season of life, and that's beautiful. That's wonderful, and I'm excited about every season of life that God has for us. But can I tell you, I think there's also an issue with people who are choosing to discredit themselves. Now, there's those who choose to discredit themselves because they refuse to believe. They refuse to do all that, and I get that. But at the same time, I also feel like there's those who discredit themselves because of their past. Because of what I have done, God can't undo. And he may be able to do it to somebody else, but he can't do it for me. Can I tell you, when Jesus died, his blood was powerful for every single person that could hear his name. And it doesn't matter if you're on death row, and it doesn't matter if you've been an angel your whole life. We are all sinners, and Jesus Christ covered the cost of it all. And one of the biggest lies of the enemy, ask me how I know, is to convince you to disqualify yourself because of what your past was. Let go. Remember that whole grace? Taking off the old things, putting on the outfits that fit today. Because one of our old outfits is our yesterday. One of our old outfits that we want to put back on and keep on is our battle scars of life. And we want to try to wear that into a new season. And a lot of times for us, it's like wearing a wool jacket in the middle of Alabama July. And you're wondering why you're dying. God has called you to release your past. And he has given you a grace for a new season of life. And I don't care whether it's drugs. I don't care if it was alcohol. I don't care how many people, how big your body count is. I don't care what kind of violence you were in. I, I don't care what, what you have done in life. God knew and he has called you. You are here at this moment of all the churches you could have gone to. You're here at this moment because God, like he guided Paul and like he guided them, put them together to say, hear this truth. Hear this truth today. You are free. Hear this truth. You are loved and you are accepted just the way you are. And now from there, we're going to grow. See, God welcomes everyone to come in just the way they are, but you shouldn't stay where you are for the rest of your life. 
And one of the big ways, best ways we can do that is by letting go of our past. We let go of what has taken place to us and what has done, gone through us, right? Things that were done wrong to me and things that I have done wrong. Let it go. Your future is too bright to hold on to yesterday. Don't disqualify yourself. Today, I don't feel like I need to do an altar call for salvation. And if you want to get saved and you want to confess Jesus as your Lord of life, I am here and we will talk it through it to the cows come home. But one thing I feel in my spirit is that there's a lot of people here who have been talking themselves out of the next season of life because they keep being reminded of previous seasons of their lives. So I'm going to do a prayer. You're not going to come up to the altar. This is between you and Jesus. But with every head bowed, duck your heads, close your eyes. If you're in the seat, if it place today and you say, Pete, yeah, I need that. I need to let go of my seasons. <laughs> I need to move forward in life. I've got to cut the ties of my failures. Um, uh, it's been holding me back for too long. I've been disqualifying myself. And I'm, I'm ready for some newness in my life. With no one looking around, this is honestly just for me, just to make sure that I'm on the right page. If that's you, just throw your hand up and put it right back down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Holy moly. Absolutely. Okay, we're good. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for each and every person who threw their hand up and those who are about to when I cut them off. I just thank you that you are drawing them to you. Mm. And right now I just see a, a, like a pond, like a big, big pond. And I want you to picture whatever it is. You write it on a, write it on a rock and just toss it. And as it goes down beneath the waters, never to be found again. That's what Jesus is wanting to do to your past. He wants to toss it away so that you can be freed up. There's people here today that are carrying backpacks full of these rocks, and it's been carrying them down, and it's been weary. It's been tiring. They're exhausted. They are continually feeling numb. They're putting a smile on the outside, but on the inside, they are just exhausted, emotionally spent, feeling numb in every area of their life. And I just feel like God's wanting to release you of that today. Not because you're trying to do more, but just to tell you, you are, it's okay. You are forgiven. Let go. That's what I hear God say. If I forgave you, why can't you forgive you? Holy Spirit, I just thank you that you're a great comforter in this season, that you're comforting those who are hurting, that are dealing with fear, that your, your love will cast out this fear to let go of yesterday, let go of their past. Have a vision of what they're supposed to be letting go of their, their failures, letting go of their rejections, letting go of their issues, and grabbing a hold of what you've called them to be. Lord, I just thank you for your forgiveness in this place. I thank you for your mercy, and I thank you for this grace, just to shake it off. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We love you guys. I hope you heard some truth. Go tell somebody else about truth next week, and we'll finish up. We'll be in chapter 14. Hey, I finished one. We'll be in chapter 14 next week. We'll see you guys. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.